Well, we're going to be turning to that uh, passage in Mark that we read earlier. So if you find in your Bibles Mark 14 and 15, I'll join you in a few moments. I'm first going to read a verse from Genesis chapter 3. We referred to it this morning a couple of times. I do find myself always going back to these first few chapters of Genesis because that's where so much of the Bible is laid out in a macro form. After the fall of man, after sin has entered the world, the Lord, the Lord God addresses the serpent, Satan, in the form of a serpent. And he says in verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is what is being lived out in Mark chapter 14, chapters 14 and 15. The devil is fighting against the Lord Jesus Christ. He's trying to undermine God. He's going to bruise Christ's heel, but in the process, his own head is going to be crushed. We pick up the narrative where the Lord Jesus Christ has been betrayed, betrayed by Judas Iscariot, one of his own disciples. He's been abandoned by the rest of his disciples, denied by Peter. He's been arrested and manhandled by the Jewish leaders, and he has once again affirmed his identity as the promised Messiah, the Son of God. That's in uh, chapter chapter 14, verse 62. They've denounced his claims. They've rejected him. They've physically abused him. And they have delivered him to Pontius Pilate. Now, one interpretive tool that's quite useful for us as we look at God's word is to look for examples, both good and bad. And the Bible does reveal people's actions and people's motives, not for us to judge them, but to hold up a mirror to us. So I would like to look as, at the reactions of three different categories of people as they are presented with the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the world, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And I want us each to ask ourselves the question, what is our response when we are presented with Christ? We are, all of us, unholy. We have all fallen short of God's standards. We need a saviour. We need a way to be made right or we have no hope. And that way is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way. There's no other ways. He is the way that we can be made right with God. He's the way that we can have a future. It's the way we can have hope. Is by trusting in him to take away our sins. And yet, even today, there are many, many people who reject Christ. Perhaps you are one of those people. Up until today, you have rejected him. You've pushed him away and said, no, thank you, not today. Well, we're going to look at three of these reasons, and perhaps I will describe your reason. Maybe not. This isn't an exclusive list, but maybe I will. The first reason why somebody might reject Christ is a desire to please man. 
And we find that in Pontius Pilate. What do we know about Pilate? He didn't fly aeroplanes. He was the governor of Judea at the time. But he was a Roman, not a Jew. The Romans were the conquerors of Israel, the suppressors. The Pharisees, all people in Israel at that time, they were answerable to the Romans. And the governors of the Romans, they were very hated people. They represented invasion. They represented oppression and a loss of freedom. Being made the governor of Judea was not a prestigious position. The Jewish people were notoriously restless. They were rebellious and unrest was never far away. This wasn't a posting that many people wanted on their political CV. One example of this restlessness is found in Acts chapter 1 verse 6. This is after the, after the Lord Jesus Christ has risen. And the first thought the disciples have is, is your kingdom coming? Is it, is it now, is now the time where we're going to throw off the Roman rule? That was always bubbling under the surface of these Jewish people. This job as the governor of Judea was a poison chalice, really. And we know from secular historians that Pilate was given this posting, not because of great qualifications, but through the influence of a friend. This was an early rung on his ladder for a political career. And this is why, on this day, 2,000 years ago, he is the one asked by the Jews to sentence Jesus Christ to death. Jesus had been arrested by this angry mob, He'd been tried already before Caiaphas, the high priest. These Jewish leaders were outraged by Jesus' claims to be the Son of God. However, they could not organize a trial sufficiently well to reach a verdict that would hold up in a court of law. They felt unable to punish him themselves. So they take Jesus, they bind him, and they present him to Pilate with a list of new charges. Because their problem was one of theology. They didn't like who the Lord Jesus Christ said he was. That's why they wanted rid of him. But quite honestly, Pilate couldn't care less about theology. He wouldn't have cared if the Lord Jesus Christ said he was Cleopatra. It's not relevant. So what the chief priests do is they find a new list of charges. And we find in Luke 23, verse 2, that they accuse Jesus of inciting revolt of not paying his taxes and, and of stating that he was a rival king. Now, these were things that Pilate could not ignore. So he interviews the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What a wonderful opportunity he had, interviewing the Son of God. We find that Pilate was impressed. We read in verse 5 that He marveled at the Lord Jesus Christ. This apparent rogue was instead meek. He was lovely. He was quiet. He wasn't like other criminals. He was like a lamb before its shearers. Eventually, in verse 14, he has to admit that he can find no fault in this man. What evil has he done? There's no fault in him. 
I used to I used to feel quite sorry for Pilate. I used to think that really in this narrative he was a bit of a goody, really. He wasn't as vicious as the high priests. He wasn't as vicious as Herod was. I mean, what was he supposed to do? He's here at the climax of redemptive history. And it's happening on his doorstep. But this wasn't by chance. We have a sovereign God who orders all events. This appointment that Pilate had with Jesus Christ was scheduled before the world even began. This Roman man would be presented with the Lord Jesus Christ and he had a decision to make. I'm not talking about easy believism here, I'm talking about the responsibility that every human has to acknowledge Christ as our Saviour and as Lord. He failed miserably. The truth is God will bring us all to a point where we have to make that decision. What are we going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Staying neutral is not an option. You're here, I'm glad you're here. You're not out trying to destroy Christians, but are we all children of God? Perhaps you'd like to think of yourself as a neutral onlooker. It is not an option. Staying neutral on Christ will end us end up with us expelled from God's presence and put into hell. Well, I wonder if you, like Pilate, you see that there is much to admire in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're not willing to commit. That's not enough, as we will see. Pilate tried to sit on the fence. He dithered. He tried to wiggle his way out of the situation. He tried to pass the buck. We find out in Luke chapter 23 that he tried to palm the Lord Jesus Christ off to Herod. Send him to Herod. Let Herod make a decision. I I don't want to. He thought that he'd got away with having to make this decision, but it came back to him again. There are many people who are just like this. When you talk to them about Christ, they they aren't hostile. They may even be regulars at church. But when you put them in a corner and ask them where they stand in relation to the Son of God, they squirm and they change the subject as quick as a flash. Pilate even tried to free Christ so he didn't have to make a decision. They had this tradition where he would release a criminal and he gives them this this chance. Surely, surely they're going to be able to release Christ and I won't have to make a decision. He offered them this choice between a notorious criminal and Christ. The reality is he tried to get anyone other than himself to make the decision for him. His wife, he tried. The people, he palmed it back to the chief priests, Herod, but it kept coming back to him. Other people can't make the decision for us. We may try. We will not be saved by our church's statement of faith. We won't be saved because our parents are Christian. Eventually, you and I will have to answer the question, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? When he had nowhere else to turn, his true colours came out. He was more interested in pleasing people than in pleasing the king of all the earth.
when the Lord Jesus Christ came back from Herod, beaten and bruised and ridiculed, the man who Pilate admitted was innocent. We read that he turned a blind eye because he saw an opportunity to strike up a friendship with Herod. We read that in Luke chapter 23 and verse 14. The truth was his political career was more important to him than his soul. Eventually, he hands the Lord Jesus Christ over. Why? Well, we find his reason in verse 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, hands over Christ to be crucified. He wanted to further his career. He wanted to keep other people happy. And he condemned his own soul. I wonder, is that your reason for rejecting Christ today? You feel that you have too much to lose, like Pilate did. Following Christ will cost us. The Bible makes no bones about it. It will cost us. Let no one deceive you otherwise. Your friends may despise you. Your family might scorn you. Opportunities may pass you by because you stand with Christ. And you feel that it's best that you don't commit either way. You're going to keep coming to church, but you're going to keep your friends happy by showing an interest, but you're not going to commit your soul to Christ. Neutrality is treason against the Most High God. It's not an option for you or for me. Second reason why people reject Christ is a desire to be admired, a desire to be number one. And this is modelled for us by the chief priests and elders in this chapter. What was their problem? What was their problem? They had become frantic. They are riled up, twisting the truth, organising fake trials to achieve their ends, the so-called religious leaders. What was it about the Lord Jesus Christ that they hated so much. In verse 10, we, we read that even Pilate had worked them out. He knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. What were they so envious of? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ was popular. Despite this baying crowd, he was popular. The many miracles that he had done, his, his teaching, the many lives that he had changed for the better with his healings and with his teaching had made many, many people thankful, indebted and awestruck. Wherever he went, crowds followed. He was also loved. He accepted all who would come to him. The lowlifes, tax collectors, harlots, lepers. He accepted them. He would let the little children gather around his feet and be with him. Those that were downtrodden and weak and every day, they loved him because he loved them. Many leaders have to make that choice. Would you rather be feared or loved? He was worthy of both in equal measure. They hated him because of his teaching. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 29 we read, He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. In his Sermon on the Mount, again and again and again, this phrase keeps cropping up. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. 
This suggests that much of the teaching that the scribes and the Pharisees had been putting across for many years was being undone. It was being corrected by the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever they tried to debate him, he destroyed them. They hated him because of his teaching. Up until that point, the scribes and the Pharisees, they'd been admired and respected as the very best of men. The holy ones, the men of God, men who spoke for God. If God would be pleased with anyone, then surely it would have been them. But now, well, the light of the world is walking among them. And when these previously admired Pharisees stood next to the light, well, they didn't look so good anymore. It's a bit like when you go to buy clothes and you get in the changing room and you think they look quite good until you get under that harsh blue light and you don't look so good in those changing rooms. These men had enjoyed being considered good men. They considered themselves good men. They'd enjoyed being the lawmakers. Nobody would argue with them until Christ came along. This is why they wanted rid of him. Because they enjoyed being number one. And they weren't anymore. This is recognisable in us, isn't it? We like to think that we are better than most people. We can watch the news and shake our heads at the antics of all well, some vile sinners that are out there. We enjoy keeping up some show of morality. We like to think that we are perhaps worse than some, but better than most. And yet when we are told that we are wretched, helpless sinners. We don't like it. How dare you? I'm a decent person, you know. We don't like it. And when the law of God is revealed, and we realise that every single law has been broken by you and by me, we kick back against that thought. We like to be in some sort of control. We like to be admired for being upright people. We don't like the Bible telling us that we have fallen short. I wonder, does the thought of humbling yourself and acknowledging that our very best works are filthy rags, does that repulse you? Does it repulse me? Well, it was too much for these scribes and priests. So they rejected it. I don't like that teaching. I reject that teaching. There are many today who will not accept that they are sinners and they reject the only way they can be saved. How foolish and how heartbreaking that is. Well, thirdly and finally, a desire to fit in with men. A little bit like I was talking about this morning. People say safety in numbers, don't they? Well, in some ways that might be true. But it's also true that if we get involved in crowds, we risk being swept along with them. Christ says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Peer pressure will keep many souls away from Christ. They like to see the temperature of the room around them before they make a decision. They see what the feeling is and they go with that. It's such a dangerous thing to go with the popular opinion. 
This multitude, it was prejudiced against Christ. A huge crowd of people, all of them prejudiced against Christ. And make no doubt about it, we live in a world that is prejudiced against Christ. Men prefer darkness to light. We read in Romans 1 that men suppress the truth. They know it and they push it down because they prefer evil. If we are going to allow ourselves to be swept along with the crowd, there's a very good chance we will end up with the crowd in hell. I have to be faithful and say these uncomfortable things. In verse 11, we read that this crowd has been moved. It's been moved and it's been influenced by the chief priests. They'd been led on. They'd been riled up by a few powerful people. And that is often the way with the crowd. We saw an example of it. We've seen an example of it in the last couple of years with all of the stuff about Black Lives Matter. There have been people going to rallies that don't even know why they're there. But a few powerful, influential people have swept crowds along with them. The Bible sometimes compares humans to animals, not often favourably. We like to think that we're lions. But uh, the Bible calls us worms and vipers. And more often than anything else, sheep. Sheep are dull, they're stupid, and they're weak, and they follow other sheep. They don't think for themselves. This crowd here is presented with a choice, and it's a very simple choice. Barabbas or the Lord Jesus Christ. These people knew Christ. They knew his parents. They'd seen him walk among them, harmless as a dove. They'd seen him heal and change the lives of many of their friends. They recognised that he was wonderful, really, and harmless. And they also knew Barabbas, an inciter of rebellion, a murderer, a thief, somebody that would knife you in your bed if it furthered his own ends. Who should they free? Well, it's, a, it's an even easy choice, isn't it? God has given these people brains. This was a simple, obvious choice that they should not free Barabbas and they should free the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the power of the crowd caused them to choose the lawless man over the perfect man. It can be so tempting to do what other people do. Our choices reveal who we are, though. Do we prefer lawlessness over holiness? Oh, it doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't make sense. But as we draw this service to a close, are you once again getting ready to reject Christ? To return to your life of sin, the life that you want for yourself instead of the life-serving God? You fit in with the crowd, my friend. Does your innate desire to fit in and blend in with this sinful world stop you from using your senses and turning to Christ? Ultimately, all three of these reasons are man-centred. We care so much about pleasing men, being admired by men, and fitting in with men. But really, what can men do? 
we won't be judged by a man. We'll be judged by the same Jesus Christ who watched as he was forsaken by all. It doesn't matter if you've pleased men, it's God that we need to please. Whether we are admired by our fellow men, whether we have a strong sense of self-worth, it will not be irrelevant, it will not be relevant when our lives draw to an end. God will not admire our handiwork. It's all sin. It's all worthless. And we certainly won't be called into judgment with a crowd, with our friends or with our families. No, we will have to stand before Almighty God on our own. Or will we? This man, Christ Jesus, he was indeed the promised Messiah. He is the Saviour. He is the King of all. And his kingdom will come. And tonight he invites us all to acknowledge him as such. And he will be our advocate on that day and every day. We read in verse 20 that the soldiers, when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, put, on, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. As we close our Bibles and prepare to sing and close out this meeting, will you again allow Christ to be led away from you? I urge you, don't prioritise anything else. Do not fear, my friend, that he will turn you away. He will not. He will turn none away who come to him. Will you reject him once more? Or will you cry out to him, Saviour, forgive me, stay with me, and take my heart for your own. Amen.